With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And welcome to another Reds Review podcast. As you always, I'm your host, Mark Roberts, and I'm delighted to join me for the second time this season, the former West Ham and Wales player, Danny Gabidon. How are you doing, Danny? Good morning, boys. How are you doing? Thanks, thanks for having me on again. You've made my Sunday. I couldn't think of a better way to start my Sunday than uh, being on with you boys talking about Liverpool. No problem at all. Thank you for coming back on. A pleasure to have you as our guest again. Uh, another Liverpool fan, always good to chat to. And one with a good insight as well, being an ex-player. So, as always, we'll, we'll review the games we had in November, which seemed to be an awful lot for Liverpool, as is the case for this COVID season. And then a bit of predictions going forward to the 30-odd games we have in December with a hectic Christmas <laughs> period. Uh, it's mad, isn't it? So, what what would you think as a player? I mean, we were having a brief chat before we started recording that you, you always sort of wanted to play and even if you weren't quite fit. Yeah. With this sheer volume of games, I mean, what's your take on it, really? It's, it, it, it is difficult as a player. Um, of course, you, you know, you want to be out there playing. If the team's kind of doing well, if you're performing well personally, then in a way you can't wait for the next game to, uh, game to come as well. So, so you're happy to be out there playing, but, but it is kind of taxing on the legs and you know, you're going to be going into games a little bit undercooked, maybe feeling a bit leggy, not quite a hundred percent. Um, but you, you've just kind of got to, got to get on with it. You know, you're always aware as a player when you come around to this kind of Christmas period, the games come thick and fast. To be fair, the games have come thick and fast, suddenly from the start of the season with the international games and, you know, cup games and stuff all thrown in. So it, it's been a difficult start to the season for, for most teams, especially the, the big sides um, involved in all the competitions. But but you know now coming to the Christmas period, there's going to be a lot of games um, mentally, you know, as well as physically, you're going to be really kind of tested. Um, but I think you ask any player, the Christmas periods are really kind of enjoyable. When I know, obviously, this season's a bit different because, you know, obviously I think this weekend, also we saw fans coming back into the stadium and, and players tend to enjoy the Christmas period because of the, the fantastic atmosphere. So we're not quite obviously going to get that fully uh, this season, but but the players tend to enjoy the Christmas period. But you are, as I said, fully aware that it is it is very difficult and it can kind of make your make or break your your season a bit. So so looking at Liverpool with the games, they've got some good games coming up over Christmas, but not a lot of time to recover. Um, and the squad, which has already been tested this season with injuries, is. It's going to be really tested now over the next few weeks and going to be really important for Jurgen Klopp now and his management kind of juggling the players, rotating the squad to to get the results that Liverpool need. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, speaking just as purely as a fan here, you regularly hear sort of players say they'd rather be playing matches than training. Yeah. So what, what sort of is the, the fine balance, if you like? How many games should you be playing? What sort of rest period would you like it in an ideal world, an ideal scenario? What's the, the sort of balance, if you like? Um, well, as I said, I think over the Christmas period, that kind of goes out of the window a little bit because the games are so close together. You know, you, you're playing games every kind of couple of days or, uh, you know, where you've got the, you know, one day rest, two day rest or the, the boxing day kind of thing and you're back out playing again, which is not ideal, really. That's not enough recovery for, for players to go out and perform at, at high levels. Um, and of course, you want as much kind of rest as had a fair few injuries this season, so it's going to be difficult over the next few weeks to to kind of juggle the squad. And you have seen in the past, you know, particularly last season, where everything kind of went perfectly for Liverpool, really, where they didn't have too many injuries, and Jurgen Klopp was able to select a fairly um, uh, similar kind of starting eleven for most games. But you know, that hasn't been the case from the start of the season. Really, he's had to kind of juggle and rotate the squad, which, in a way, I like. Um, because I think Liverpool do have this probably the strongest squad they have had for a long time. And, and obviously, all these players have been needed over the last few, few weeks and they're going to be needed now over the next kind of coming weeks. But as I said, you know, the, the med- medical team are fantastic now uh, throughout different clubs. And, um, you know, they're very kind of wary of kind of player welfare. Now the game has moved on in that respect where, you know, probably back when I was playing, you would probably play most of those games over the Christmas period. Um, but now um, they are more uh, kind of wary about players getting injured. And we have seen a lot of injuries um, with players getting muscle injuries this season. So I think you will see a lot more kind of rotation, I think, now over the next few weeks. Um, and it's just about who you can get out there, who feels good to go and play again. And Liverpool do have certain players who are freaks of nature, to be fair. You know, <laughs> like some Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane, who are, are just physically and mentally unbelievable, how they keep kind of putting themselves out there game after game. And, you know, that's a Firmino as well, um, not picking up injuries and are still able to perform at a high level. They are lucky in, in some respects. I know they've had a few injuries, but there's certain players who are just able to kind of go again and again and again. So those kind of players will be really important for Liverpool now over, over the next few games. Yeah, definitely. And something else just to pick your brains about. One thing I've picked up on, Fletcher from BT Sport Commentary seems to be obsessed with the fact that we've had so many different centre-back pairings this season, again, due to injury, due to a bit of rotation. So from a centre-back, how much of a difference does it make? Is is it a big deal having that regular partner and yeah. knowing each other's oh, game inside oh, out? And obviously... Yeah. Club side and international side, you had different partners there. So did that sort of change your role and what you had to do, depending on who your partner was? Yeah, it does. Because every player is different. Every player has different kind of attributes. And, and what you want to do really is build relationships kind of all over the pitch. So, you know, as I said, you look at Liverpool, the continuity that they've been able to show with their starting eleven over the last couple of seasons has been really important to kind of get them to where they are now. So, when you're having to chop and change, you know, there's certain kind of partnerships within your 11, which are really important. And, you know, the centre-back position, you know, the goalkeeper behind um, is absolutely massive. So, you know, you see with Liverpool, with this kind of the signing of Alisson coming in, Van Dijk, um, Gomez and Matip coming in alongside Van Dijk. That, that kind of triangle there has been massively important in, in Liverpool's success. And when you're constantly chopping and changing. Different players are kind of coming in with 
different attributes. You you do have to maybe adjust your game a little bit. So you look at kind of Fabinho coming in now at centre back. You know, whoever's playing with him, whether it's Matic, whether it was Van Dijk, Gomez, they would have to kind of adjust their game a little bit for him because Fabinho has different attributes to the other centre-halves, maybe not as mobile. So I think you've seen Liverpool as a team maybe not play with such a high line or have adjusted their kind of defensive line slightly to cater for Fabinho coming coming back into the side. And you, you, you do have to um, be aware of you know different players coming in to play alongside you and adapting your game or maybe looking after certain players a little bit more. You, know, you see Nico, young Nico Williams coming in a right back very inexperienced. So you know if I was a right back playing um, centre half playing on his side, sorry, I'd probably be a little bit more wary of him. I'd be playing my own game, but also trying to help him and 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 play his game a little bit as well. So um, I think you kind of have seen that from Liverpool over the last few weeks where. You know, you've seen those kind of makeshift kind of back lines. I think you look at the, the back four that ended the game against Brighton. I think it was uh, Milner went off, didn't he? So I think it was Curtis Jones playing at right back. You had Nat Phillips, Fabinho and Robertson, um, which is, uh, I never thought I'd kind of see that, that Liverpool back four, to be honest with you. But um, it's kind of needs must at the minute. And it's, it's all about kind of trying to understand each other's games as, as quickly as possible. And the manager just slightly maybe adjusting tactics to, you know, the players and personnel that he, he kind of has available. And I think Liverpool have done that very well um, over the last few weeks. Yeah, it's it's hard, isn't it? Because obviously Van Dijk was so, so good and so reliable. I think he barely missed a game since he played and sort of Gomez or Matic would come in next to him. And uh, But they're both experienced. But I think due to the injuries and then the personnel he's got available with Matip's injury record, he can't just keep playing him either. So even when they're available with uh, yeah. sheer volume of games in the short space of time, rotation, it doesn't help. But without giving you any spoilers away, we're, we're now one point off top. Because Chelsea won yesterday. We're recording this on the Sunday morning and we're top and through in our Champions League game group. So to have a start to the season like that with all those challenges and injuries we've had, it's it's just remarkable really, isn't it? Unbelievable. I think, um, you know, as I said, last season, everything things seemed to go kind of perfectly for Liverpool, didn't it? They, they, they got the luck when they needed it. They, they ground out results when they weren't playing well. They didn't get too many injuries to key players. But, you know, this season has been totally different and um, the squad really has been tested. Um, the manager has been tested in respect of, you know, juggling things around, playing different systems. Um and and he really has in his money, I think, this season up until this point. It's it's been difficult. You know, when you lose kinda you know, get injuries to key players, you know, Van Dyke Gomez, you're you're probably your, your main kind of centre back partnership getting injured. Allison's had a couple of injuries. Obviously Trent Alexander Arnold's been injured. Um Thiago, you sign him, bring him in, he looks amazing when he's played and then, you know, he's been out. This the list has, has been endless really. Um so I think you have to give credit first and foremost to the players, to the squad players that have come in, because um, it's never easy to come into a, a Liverpool side the way they play when you, you know, you haven't been playing regular. The intensity that they kind of play with, uh, never easy to step into the starting eleven and and perform. Um, and I think you have to give a lot of credit to the manager showing that kind of faith in the squad because, as I said in the past, he's probably not had this strength of squad, not had to rotate the the, the team. As much as been quite a set of starting eleven, but he's really had to put his trust 
in a lot of these young players, a lot of these kind of squad players, and you can just see the the relationship that you know all the players have with the manager. And I think as a manager, that the toughest thing really is is managing those fringe players, the ones who are not playing every single week. You know, the starting eleven are all very happy because they're playing week in and week out, but it's keeping the the squad players focused and keeping them involved and feeling a part of it. So when you do need to call upon them and when they do come into the team, you know, they're in the right frame of mind and focused and kind of fit and ready to perform. And I think that's what you've seen over the last few weeks, whether it's been, you know, Nat Phillips coming in, you know, Nico Williams, uh, Curtis Jones, who, you know, is is improving with every single game. You know, these boys are coming into the starting eleven um, and doing a fantastic job. So I think you, you have to give credit all round, first and foremost, to the players, particularly the squad ones who um, have been ready to step in when required. And, and massive credit to the manager because it's a different kind of problem for him this season to solve, but he's doing a very good job. Absolutely. Completely, completely agree. So we'll crack on and have a look at the, the fixtures for November. So we started away at Atlanta in the Champions League and it was producer guy that was on last time. We did both predict a Liverpool win, but neither of us got quite close to the five <laughs> nil away. And what what a result and what a performance that was. And that man again jotted with a hat trick. He was well, he's he's been outstanding as he ever since he's he's come into the club. Um you know, I think when we paid the kind of the forty million for him, I thought, well, similar probably when Marley signed when Salah signed, I thought, that's that seems a bit too much money for him. I, you know, he's he's a good player. I've seen him do good things at Wolves, but you know, can he make that step up into this Liverpool team? How often will he play initially? But you know, he's obviously been required um, a lot earlier. Maybe Jurgen Klopp would have liked, and he's he's come in and he really has affected the team in a positive way. He, he's carried Liverpool a little bit, I have to say, with with his goals, and you know, he was fantastic on the night. Um, I thought that was going to be a really difficult game. Going out there to Atalanta, who were, you know, a really good team, a front foot side, like to attack, like to score goals. But, you know, Liverpool just, uh, they blew them away. And I think you can maybe look at how Atalanta playing. It suited Liverpool. They were very open, left a lot of space for, for Liverpool to kind of counter attack. But I thought the way the team kind of defended, uh, with young Reese Williams coming in alongside Gomez, um, and the clinical nature of Liverpool's finishing, um, it was probably the, the best performance of, uh, of of the season for me. They were they were absolutely outstanding in every department. They really were. Well, just I, it was one I I normally go for a Liverpool win when my red tinted glasses on, but on paper it certainly looked a tricky game. And again, you see, we were fortunate we did have Allison, Gomez, Trent, and Robertson available for that game. But that inexperience of Reese Williams and at the time Curtis Jones playing it did it did leave you worrying a bit. And, Certainly, I would have been happy with a draw there. But no, you're right. It was a phenomenal performance. And again, with Jota, he's been superb. And again, he's played all across the front three. He's played on that wide right-hand side, which surprised me. I'd, I'd never really seen him do that from Wolves. It tended to be through the middle or from the left. But he just looked so comfortable there. Coming in from the left or straight through the middle, he's been a phenomenal signing. So fantastic. Hopefully that continues. I hope so. I really hope so. And I think you have to give him you have to give him a lot of credit because it's not easy when you come into a, a club the size of Liverpool. Um, you know, can you make that step up? You know, get kind of getting used to your teammates. Um, you know, wondering just getting accepted first and foremost, I think, by the by the other players. Um, 
you know, you're very keen to do that when you, when you come into a new club. Um, you know, I remember when I went from moving from Cardiff City to West Ham and coming into a, uh, a club the size of West Ham, a totally different dressing room, uh, getting used to the kind of the players around you and then, you know, thinking, well, how quickly can I get myself into this team and, and show that I'm worthy of, uh, of being in a, a club that kind of this size and with a cal- caliber of players that Liverpool have. You know, you look at that, that Liverpool front three and how good they've been over the last few seasons and how many consecutive games they've all kind of played together. I'm sure he would have been initially wondering when he was going to kind of get some game time um, and how difficult it would be to, you know, to get, to, well, dislodge maybe one of those players and, and, and show what he can do. But, you know, he's been absolutely outstanding. I think, you know, to kind of get your first kind of goal early would have helped, um, would have settled the nerves, would have, as I said, um, the players then would, would have accepted him, I think, straight away and seen the kind of the quality that he has. And, and it just doesn't matter where he plays, does it? As you say, you know, he's played all across that front three. Um, I'm still trying to figure out what foot he kicks with. <laughs> um, you look at the, you know, the, the first goal he scored, the way to Atlanta, where, you know, he dinks it over the keeper with his left foot. Um, the second goal, it was a strike kind of with his right foot. And, you know, he just makes it so difficult as a defender. Uh, to nail him down and, and stop him because he can go either way. You really don't know which way he's going to go. He's so comfortable going on both feet. You know, he's quick. Um, and he's just, he's, he's gone up a level already. And we've seen so many Liverpool players come into the club, you know, signings who, who are good players. But Jurgen Klopp has then made them into, you know, kind of world class players. And he looks as if he's going down that same road again. So as you say, long may it continue and he's become a, you know, a very important player for Liverpool already. He definitely has. I mean, amongst us mere mortals, we seem to think that Liverpool have a, a no dickhead policy with their signings. And I think you're right to the success we've had the last couple of years to get the mentality right. And especially for a forward player, you could argue for a fullback with the strength of the fullback we've got or a centre-back with Van Dijk or any position on the pitch, really, to come in and have uh, the confidence, if you like, that you're going to get your chance. And when you get your chance, you, you're not going to stick out like a sore thumb that you're, you're that level below. And I think that that does go to show with, with the signings we make that that plays a key part, the mentality of the player and how is he going to feel? Is he going to see it as a challenge to break that front three as, and as we come on to the next game, City, to the front four to play all four? And I think Klopp and Edwards and the recruitment team spend a lot of time sussing out the player and what they're like as a person as well and have they got the right attitude and yeah. he obviously does and he's showing the talent as well so coming on to the City game that was again a, the lineup I just didn't expect at all to go away to our biggest title rivals if you like one of the best teams in Europe and to play a front four to almost go 4-2-4 that was that was very brave from Jurgen, but the way we started it, it was certainly paying dividend. I think we started the first 15, 20 minutes fantastically. Yeah, we did. And I think, you know, that all the talk in the lead up to that game, obviously with Jota scoring that hat trick was, you know, is Jota going to play? He has to play. Um, you know, if you leave him out after what he, what he's done against Atalanta, um, is that fair on the player? Obviously, you know, Bobby Firmino hadn't been in great form. Um, so every, a lot of Liverpool fans were calling for Jota to play instead of him. So I think for Jürgen to go with a front four was very brave against a team like Man City, who, you know, if you get your tactics wrong, 
you know, they, they can embarrass you. Um, but it's, it's kind of how Jurgen's been a little bit more, I think, this season. He's been willing to obviously rotate the squad, um, use different systems. We've obviously for so long been used to seeing that kind of 4-3-3 system and you know that has worked very well against Man City over the last few seasons um, but to go to the Etihad and kind of play that 4-2-3-1 with all four of them playing it was almost say, saying the best kind of form of defence was to attack and I thought you know particularly in that first half as you say it did work really well because we were able to kind of stop Man City at source I think you know the front four kind of pressing um, with Firmino kind of in that number 10 position just sitting on um, I think it was Rodri, um, who Man City looked to kind of build up while they were attacking play through. It seemed to work really well and they weren't really able to kind of get at Liverpool's back four because of the job that the players um, kind of did in front of them. Um, so as much as it looked a very kind of attacking formation, I thought from a defensive point of view, it probably worked even better because um, they were able to really step up on Man City, uh, press them high and and kind of stop them playing through the midfield. They weren't really able to, to kind of get at Liverpool's back four too often. Um, so I thought, you know, the system worked, worked ever so well. I think you saw the, the two full backs were a little bit more conservative as well. Um, you know, when you saw maybe Trent bombing forward on the right hand side, Robertson was a bit more supportive where, you know, he'd been so used to seeing both full backs high and wide and getting in and around the 18 yard box. It was a bit more of a better defensive balance. Um, they were obviously wary of the threats of Man City on the counter-attack. And I thought Jurgen Klopp tactically got it absolutely spot on because you know, I have to say I was a little bit worried when I saw the lineup, and it did look so, so attacking. Um, but once you saw the game unfold, you could really understand what um, they were trying to do tactically. And, you know, I thought they were slightly unlucky actually not to, not, not to win the game. I know obviously De Bruyne, Obviously, missed the penalty, but I thought Liverpool, particularly in that first half, had some really good chances to to, to be more than kind of one up. So I thought I thought that was a good point in the end um, against the obviously a you know a very good Man City team. And you've nicely segued there with the the Bruyne penalty. This was a, a conversation we had when you were last on reviewing the <coughs> September games. That handball against Joe Gomez I mean, for for me it it seems to have calmed down a little bit. Since then, I don't really recall many incidents like that. But that was a shocking decision again, wasn't it? You, you can't be giving handball penalties for things like that, can you? No, we can't. And as you said, it has. It had to calm down because it was getting silly. You know what referees were giving penalties for. Um, I think we saw a similar incident with one given on on Max Kilman for Wolves um, against Leicester. A similar one across from wide where. You know, as a defender, like, I'm, I'm, I'm happy, guys. I'm retired because I'd be pulling what hair I've got left. I'd be pulling it out <laughs> on a regular basis. It's so difficult now as a defender to play in the modern game when handballs are being given for that. You know, if you, you can't tackle from behind, any kind of tug in the box now from a set piece is, you know, VAR's watching and it, it tends to be given as a penalty. It's, it's so difficult for defenders now to, um, to perform in the best way. And you, you're having to adapt your game, you know, fact now that you know when you get close to an attacker or a cross has got in a wide area you're having to, to run with your hands behind your back is, is absolute nonsense to be honest with you um so it was a poor decision um but there were a few being given at that time and um, there's not a lot you can do there as a defender you're coming across on the cover um you're trying to you know 
attempt the block at the cross. It's fired in at pace from, you know, not too far away. And, and it hits your hand and, you know, goes to VAR. And, you know, your heart's in your mouth then as a defender. You know it's probably going to be given once it's hit the hand. But um, to ask defenders now to defend with the arms behind their back is a more natural position than you actually running across at speed and your arm being up where, you know, you can't do anything about that. That's just a natural kind of running movement and an impossible thing really not to do. So it, it, it was a poor decision, um, but kind of one that you kind of have to accept a bit now as a defender and understand that, you know, if it does hit your hand, it's, it's probably going to be given now. But I thought, you know, the way kind of uh, Gomez kind of reacted after that, um, he didn't let that kind of affect his performance too much. And I thought it was a, it was a good, really like commanding performance for him, actually. Um, you know, in a period where obviously before the injury, he, you know, he was seen as the, the guy who's, you know, has to kind of step up now and, and kind of lead that back four. And I thought, you know, he did that very well in that game. But it was, yeah, it was a another shock of a decision, one of one of many, which we've, we've seen this season, to be fair. Unfortunately, so, so we won't go over it and over it, but so it, just in general, but what are your thoughts on VAR and how it's being implemented currently? I can't stand it. I can't stand it. I'd love to, I'd love to see it gone. Um, but unfortunately, I think, you know, it is here to stay. It does need tweaking for me. Um, you know, a lot of rules have kind of been adapted to bring VAR, VAR in, which is wrong. Um, and it's just, it's just really frustrating. I think you can see how frustrated the players are with it because, you know, some of the decisions that are being given now are just, are just become ridiculous. And they are now is becoming the, um, the main thing that we're talking about after every game. And it shouldn't be, you know, the Man City Liverpool game was a fantastic kind of game of football. Um, and there was lots of things to kind of scrutinize and analyze, um, within that game. But it just seems that VAR is, always at the forefront of everything now after every game that, you know, the, the analysis, which is, and the scrutiny of the game, it, it all seems to be down to these poor kind of VAR decisions. And it, it's just frustrating because there's no consistency with it either. You know, you saw the, the Salah kind of penalty that was given against West Ham United. And then yesterday you saw a penalty not given uh, in the game yesterday for, you know, a similar kind of incident. So it's, it's just that kind of... In, inconsistency with it as well um, which is so so frustrating I think you can just see players have, have had enough of it you've heard kind of Milner come out as well and talk about um, after the Brighton game with a Robinson penalty and how frustrated he is and I'm just happy that I'm not playing now because the, the game has just changed so much and not a lot of it has been for the good of the game for me um, so it, it's just frustrating it really is I, I, I'd just rather it be gone I don't want to say I hate it, but it's as close to hate as uh, as I could <laughs> probably uh, probably say. To be honest with you, it's it's really really annoying, frustrating. I think you you summed it up there with the consistency. I think that's what frustrates people and and the offsides, the way they're drawing the lines. Again, we've we've, <laughs> we've had two this yeah. year in the derby and against Brighton. It was most Salah. It was that tight. Yeah. If it's that tight and you're having to look at it that in that much detail and then the images we're seeing with the lines drawn on it just it just looks like my four-year-old daughter's drawn and <laughs> it's just so so frustrating and yeah. if it's that tight surely and again you see all the it's not the technology it's the people implementing it and if a referee yeah. to get these decisions wrong anyway then asking a referee to do it 
in a studio somewhere at Stockley Park isn't going to help. And they're all friends, they're all colleagues, so they're not going to overrule each other. Or there's this inferiority complex, if you like, that, well, that referee, he's better than me, so I, I can't I can't go against him. What's that going to yeah. sound like? And it, as you said, it, it's, it's here to stay, unfortunately. I can't see it going. But again, from a fan's point of view, you don't seem to have as many controversies, as many dramas in the European games, in the Champions League or... The, the La Ligas, the Bundesliga, you don't seem to see as many as we have in our country. So whether that is purely yeah. down to the people doing it or, again, with a with five subs rule where the only top league in the world are not doing five subs, we yeah. want to be seen as something different. And it's just, it's frustrating, as you say. And now when you see a goal, you just can't celebrate. And again, I think it was Carragher mentioned on Monday Night Football, and he was right. I watched that Scotland playoff. And yeah. when the keeper saved the goal, he didn't celebrate straight away. Yeah, he David just Marshall, stood there yeah. wait, waiting. And, and that's not right, is it? That's, And I think it's going to be magnified even more when fans are back in the ground, whether they're even going to stop celebrating and cheering when the ball hits the net, just in case. Yeah, well, it was it was one of the things I kind of mentioned when, you know, VAR first came in. I, just, you know, I said, I think, you know, it's going to take the emotion out of the game and, you know, that's a massive part of football, you know, when a goal goes in, that kind of instant reaction, you know, players celebrating, um, that kind of, you can't beat that emotion um, as a player when, you, you know, a goal's gone in and, you know, you just lo- kind of lose your mind. You don't even know how you're acting kind of thing. And, and fans the same. You just, you just kind of, you, all those emotions come out and you just go mad. And, you know, it's, it's taken that away. As you say, you're seeing players now score a goal um, and they're just kind of half running away and um, knowing that there's going to be a VAR check first. So, you know, you, you, you're wary about celebrating in case kind of the goal gets kind of chalked off. And it's just ridiculous. It's, you know, there's too many incidents now being scrutinised. It's too in-depth. You know, if you're going to do that, take away the kind of clear and obvious kind of state slogan that they've come out with because it's not just for clear and obvious. It's, it's scrutinising every kind of little thing um, they've gone it too in depth with it you know all these lines on the pitch even where they where they gauge in the line from on the you know on the t-shirt or whatever it is the armlet is ridiculous like I don't know how you could get it accurate from that I don't know who's come up with that but you know that needs to change first and foremost why they don't just do it from the feet for me would be an easier one you measure from the feet um, or the foot you know the, the, the closest kind of foot to the goal um, for me would be much more sensible, but you know, there's a lot of things that need need tweaking for me, and that's the problem. As you say, it is kind of a bit of a referees union. We all look after each other. We don't want to kind of throw each other under the bus. So you know, you know, no one's going to come out and kind of say, "Look, I made a mistake there," or 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 if you're seeing maybe what a possible mistake on the VR, you know, then that you know the VAR is going to cover the referee or vice versa and stuff, and. It's it's just really annoying, and and as I said, the main thing for me is is the emotion. That that's what makes the game of football. That the different emotions you feel as a as a player, the different emotions that you experience as a fan, and and that's being harmed as well. That's being taken away. So um, it's it's just annoying. It's just something I think didn't didn't need to come into the game. I was quite happy with how the game was. I could kind of accept mistakes, human error from referees. Um, and we're still getting it. We're still getting it even with VAI and we're still seeing human mistakes because it is still down to referees making decisions, looking at video footage and, and you're going to still get inconsistency. So I just don't see the point in having it. So, um, I don't know. It is what it is. We're just going to have to 
deal with it. We're going to have to adapt to it as fans. We're going to have to adapt to it as players. Um, cause, cause it is here to stay, unfortunately. Um, but I don't like it. None the same. I, I really don't like it. No, fully agree. Fully agree. So after the city game, we went into yet another international break, uh, a successful international break for our beloved Wales team, which was always good to see and qualified from our nations league top of the group and in, into Group A for next time. So that was very good. Pleasing as a Bolshman. Delighted. Absolutely delighted. Um, I think the way the team have performed, you know, a young kind of squad of players um, to, to finish top of the group. Um, and I think they only conceded, what was it, one goal or something? I, I, I can't remember so, what yeah. it was. Um, and to, to perform the way they have... Um, with an inexperienced squad, as I say, inexperienced kind of manager. Obviously, the manager not being there for the last three games, Ryan Giggs. Um, I think you have to give massive credit um, to the players, really. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how Wales perform now in Group A of the Nations League. Um, in there were some really big hitters. going to be some fantastic games for the players to play in, fantastic games for the fans to come and watch. Hopefully, we'll get, obviously, the fans will be back in the stadium by that point. And, yeah, I think you have to give massive credit to, to the players of dead. You know, young Nico Williams, who obviously I think, you know, has, has come in, um, as a young player and affected games, done really well. Um, great, great to see him, um, step up when needed and, and perform to the levels, um, that he has. And, uh, yeah, looking forward now to the, the World Cup draw. I think we're in pot two, in we? So, um, Hopefully we can get a decent draw for the World Cup, and you know things are moving in 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 the right direction with, with the national team. So that's great to see. Definitely, but unfortunately, the, the curse of the international break struck Liverpool again. This time it was Mo Salah who had tested positive for COVID. We won't go into all that and seeing pictures of him at his brother's wedding, etc. It happened. He got tested positive. But the Leicester game, and again in the previous to all this, I just remember the two performances against Leicester last year. Certainly the one away on Boxing Day was a statement performance and one of our best of the season. And again, we, we just totally, totally dominated the game from start to finish. Comfortable 3-0 win. I kept before the game a, a bit of worry about Milner being at right back with his lack of pace, but put in one of the best performances he's played for Liverpool for the last two, three years. And the only downside on the whole night was, unfortunately, another injury to Naby Keita. Yeah, uh, which seems to be a, well, it's been a problem, really, since Naby's come into the club, isn't it? He keeps picking up these kind of muscle injuries, and I'm not sure, or quite sure, what's kind of going on there. It's something that the medical team needs to, to get to the bottom of. Um, but look, yeah, it was a real kind of statement performance. Um, I think... You know, all Liverpool fans were slightly worried going into this game because Leicester's obviously started the season ever so well. Um, you know, they're a really good side. Um, but I thought Liverpool were, were absolutely spot on. It was another really good kind of all round performance. You mentioned Milner there stepping in at right back. Um, I thought he was outstanding. Um, Jota again caused all kinds of problems, uh, to Christian Fuchs. I really felt sorry for him. I think he got dragged off in the end. Um, you give him such a kind of a torrid time. Constantly was getting in behind him down that kind of left side, um, and it was it was an outstanding performance, um, and one that was kind of needed really. Um, you know, as I said, I thought the Atalanta performance was really good, but but I think when you know people from the outside were probably doubting Liverpool a little bit coming into this game, 
Um, it really was a silly thing to do because that's when Liverpool really are kind of at their best. You know, mentally they are they're so strong as a team, um, and it, it couldn't be more. It shouldn't be more really. You know, the chances that got created, particularly in that first half, um, it really probably should have been four or five. And I thought. You know, I think from a Leicester point of view, they were probably a little bit too respectful of Liverpool in the first half. I was expecting them to maybe press a bit higher and, you know, try and put um, Liverpool under a bit more pressure, uh, you know, a bit of a makeshift kind of back four. But they were very respectful of Liverpool. They kind of sat half, sat quite deep and allowed Liverpool to control possession. And it, was, it wasn't it was one or the other, really. They weren't really compact and, and difficult to break down. Um, Liverpool was still easily kind of getting balls in behind them and, and they didn't really press high and put any pressure on Liverpool so the first half you know the game could have been done and dusted really um, in the first half and I thought you know second half Leicester were a bit more positive but by then you know once Liverpool got kind of the second goal that the game was kind of done and dusted really so um, I thought it was a really kind of good kind of all-round performance really you know defensively solid um, you know I thought the midfield worked really well um, I think Curtis Jones played in that one as well, didn't he? Um, the left hand side played really well. Um, yeah, he did. He had a, good, I think a really a, yeah, good game that night. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I think there was a, I think there was a thirty pass move. Was there in that um, yeah, game before the, one of the goals? The goal. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was headed goal. Yeah, I think it was Curtis Jones who played a, a fantastic kind of cross field ball to Robertson, and then I'll see a, a trade Matt Robertson cross onto the head of Jota. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's a brilliant performance. Brilliant performance. I think Jurgen Klopp obviously was, you know, delighted after that game because um, he knew how difficult a game that was going to be going into it. But he really did get um, an all-round fantastic performance from his team. It was brilliant. It was fantastic. But unfortunately, that then brought us onto a result. I don't think anybody saw yeah. coming after after a performance like that so dominant and with a five-nil win, we'd had a way at Atalanta to have a two-nil loss at home and I think that was the game where we didn't have a shot on target which at home under Jurgen Klopp on a Champions League night I don't think anybody saw come in and again the team was relatively strong all things considered who who we had available I think Origi starting was the, the shock the surprise but other than that it was a relatively strong team and a stinking performance to be honest <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's not often you see Liverpool lose at home, is it, and, and not have a shot on target. Um, but I do think it was a difficult one for the manager, kind of with a game on the weekend. Uh, Brighton, obviously a twelve thirty kickoff on a Saturday. I do think he also obviously had one eye on that with the team selection, um, and it's probably a game Liverpool didn't need really in midweek and Atalanta, as we said. Um, you know, we really did wipe the floor of them over at their place, but. But they are a good side. You know, they are a team that attack and are capable of, of being any side when, when they're on the game and, and, and scoring goals. So I thought that was always going to be a difficult game for Liverpool. Um, and when I kind of saw the, the starting 11, uh, with the changes that he made, kind of really coming into the team, I was, I was slightly worried, if I'm honest. Um, and it's, it seems when Origi comes into the team, I know he's a bit of a, a legend for the important goals that he scored, but, um, that front three just doesn't work as well. Whether he's you know through the middle, whether he plays off the left, um, the front three just doesn't seem to function as well uh, when he's in the team. And I, I don't think Jurgen Klopp was too happy with with Box performance, was he? To be fair, um, 
I think he was he was getting onto him a lot from the side, and more so maybe for you know his work rate. I think when the ball was kind of coming into him as well, the ball wasn't really sticking and stuff. And um, I just felt it was maybe a game that Liverpool could kind of sacrifice a little bit. Um, you know, with one eye on an important game on the weekend against Brighton, I think trying to juggle the squad and making sure that there were players fresh for the weekend was always going to be a difficult one uh, with the absentees, with the injuries that the Liverpool had. So I think he tried to obviously rotate the squad, hope maybe that he could get a result. Um, you know, there was a few people after the game saying that he got it wrong kind of tactically, but but I felt maybe thought that was a game that he could sacrifice knowing that even if they lost the game, you know, they still then obviously had Ajax next game. And if they, I think, well, they only needed a point from that, didn't they then to kind of qualify? So I think it was, um, I think he, you don't go into a game wanting to lose. You want to win every game. But I don't think he thought maybe it would be the end of the world if they didn't get a result in that game, just because of the quick turnaround with a game on the weekend against Brighton. So um, he had to make changes. When you make changes as a manager, you know, four or five changes, um, you know, it can affect the balance, the flow of the team, particularly if you're making changes kind of in key areas. And I think that's what we saw was just the kind of an under par performance, which, you know, maybe you could have expect with the amount of games Liverpool have played with the personnel they've had available. Um, and they just weren't at it, weren't at it on the night that happens. Um, so it was just one of them you have to take and move on. Um, and as I say, I think, you know, with still a couple of more games left in the Champions League group, there was still time to kind of rectify that. So it was a game, I won't say they sacrificed, but maybe Jürgen was well aware that, you know, that was going to be a, a, a difficult night for them. And there was a possibility they might not get the result, which which they didn't. No, and you said earlier when we, when we were talking, and I'm just looking at the team now, the defensive, it was only really Matty. Yeah. That's played. I mean, Simicas is an experienced player, but he certainly hasn't played many games for Liverpool at all, other than in the League Cup. So to have Matip sort of babysitting three around yeah. him in young Nick yeah. Williams, Reese Williams, and yeah. Simicas, it's. Difficult. I think if you, it's difficult, and Robertson definitely needs a rest because he played a hundred and. 20 minutes for Scotland and then played another game for Scotland on top of that and he's played pretty much every Liverpool game so he needed the break there was nobody else really to play centre-back and Milner was needed in midfield so his options were very limited but I think going forward in an ideal scenario it would be Simicast with Trent or Nico with Robertson and introduce them to the team that way and have one experienced full-back and, and the other one to get their game that way and a steady back four, but injuries dictate that. And as you said, the Brighton game. So again, that's been something that's been regularly in the news the last few weeks with Klopp moaning, if you like, or having a valid point about the the team that plays on the Wednesday night in Europe shouldn't have a twelve thirty game on a Saturday. What, what's your sort of take on that? Um, well, I hundred percent agree with that. That shouldn't happen. Um, you know, if you're playing on a Wednesday, there's no way. Um, your team then should play 12.30 on a Saturday. That's just not enough you know, recovery time, whether you're playing at home or away. It's not fair. And I think you look at a lot of the other European leagues, um, that doesn't happen. You know, the league will look after their kind of bigger sides and um, they'll stick them in the, the correct kind of time slot to allow the players to to recover. But you just don't kind of see that in the Premier League. And look, I think, you know, we saw that kind of argument Jürgen, that Brad Jürgen had with, with Des Kelly and there are arguments to, 
both sides of things. Um, I think if you're kind of willing to accept the TV money at the start of the season and kind of understand that, obviously, you know, other countries around the world, um, when they're buying the TV rights, they want to see the big teams play. That's why they're, they're paying the, the millions of pounds because they want to see the likes of Liverpool, United, Man City, um, these teams play. So you are going to be put into those slots. You are aware of that as a manager, as a club at the start of the season. And if you're willing to take the millions of pounds that are on offer, you have to accept that this is going to happen. So, you know, there are arguments both sides, but I think from a player welfare point of view, um, you can understand Jurgen Klopp's frustration. Obviously, he's got a lot of injuries at the minute. Um, for me, the biggest issue has been in international breaks. There's been so many international breaks and, you know, friendly games in with Nations League games. You know, they've been away for what, 10 to days and been playing three games. For me, there was, there's been no need for those kind of friendly games thrown in with a Nations League game. So for me, more than the 12 30 kickoff, it's been those international games that have, that have come every, every month or, Every other month, that has been probably the biggest problem um, for managers to kind of deal with and factor in with, with the league game. So, you know, I can understand this frustration. For me, it, it shouldn't happen. You know, they shouldn't play um, at 12.30 if they've played on a Wednesday. Um, you know, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer has come out saying a similar thing. But it is the way it is. Um, and unfortunately, you know, the bigger teams do have the bigger squads and you sh- could argue that they should be able to to deal with it um, you know, with the money that they have and, and the squad of players that they have available to them. But but from a player's welfare point of view, no, it shouldn't happen. And we have seen, you know, lots of muscle injuries, as I said, this season. Um, and we saw, obviously, James Milner pick up an injury, didn't we, in, in that Brighton game. Um, and, of course, you could argue, you know, at 35 years of age, should he have been playing, you know, three games in a week? Maybe that's why he got the injury. But, but Jurgen Klopp, was was probably forced to with the personnel that he had available. So um, it's not ideal, but for me, the Premier League they they're not really bothered about the players. They just want to um, they just want to kind of rake in the money, and they they're not that bothered about player welfare. Um, and we've seen that this season, and and hence why you've seen you know muscle injuries are up thirty forty percent whatever it is because it's just been kind of game after game. There's been limited recovery time, and and the players have found it very difficult. It, it is difficult. I think there's a few things really involved in it, isn't there? I think the thing Des Kelly missed really was Klopp wasn't moaning that there is a game at 12.30 Saturday. It's the BT then choose who they show at that game and they shouldn't be choosing that. But then I don't think the Champions League helps by playing Wednesday one week and then Tuesday the next week. So you've almost got the dream scenario, I suppose, would be Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday, but you can't repeatedly do that so that needs factoring in and I think on that weekend Chelsea and Man City had played on the Tuesday and both their games were on the Sunday and as Klopp has repeatedly said this isn't a normal season this is a Covid season everybody else has had the change so every game is on tally and fans aren't there and I think a lot of it probably does come down to the foreign broadcasters, as you say, that the twelve thirty on a Saturday is peak time in yeah, Asia, Asia, and that's where they yeah. want the fans. But it's it just seems to be that everybody's in it for themselves, and, and nobody's thinking of the bigger picture. And yes, they want to show the big teams, but surely they want to show the big teams with their full complement. And no disrespect, and not having a dig on our on our blue neighbours, but it was Burnley Everton yesterday. That's not yeah. going to draw massive foreign audiences, and there's other 
bigger games on this weekend that BT didn't choose. It just seems to be like nobody's listening to each other and they're all just going about what they want and it's going to detriment the bigger picture. And as Copper said this week again, it's when it comes to the Euros next summer, people will then, the penny will finally drop and people will realise. And it's not just him, as you said, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's had the same moan pep is of coming from the same hymn sheet and I don't know what Chris Wilder's beef with Klopp is, but they're having a, a set to <laughs> in the press at the moment. But he said yeah. it's regularly, it's for the player welfare, and it didn't seem to kick up as much of a stink when Ollie had a moan, whether it's because we're the champions and Klopp's a bigger name or, or what, I don't know, but it just seems like he's doing for the good of the game and everybody just thinks he's just in it for Liverpool, and that, that's not the case. No, I think um, I think he is sincere when he says that. It's not just about Liverpool. Um, it's about the, the player welfare in general. I know I heard Gary Neville on Monday Night Football basically saying the opposite, um, talking about how Alex Ferguson used to moan about it year after year, and it was all about giving kind of Manchester United that kind of advantage. But I do think he is talking more generally because we have seen lots of players going down with injuries. It's as simple as that. It's not just been Liverpool players. You look at Leicester, they've had a lot of injuries. Every single week we're seeing um, you know, I think it was Fabian Delph yesterday in the Everton Burnley game, hamstring injury. Um, there's been a lot of muscle injuries, and obviously, you know, the COVID issue as well with players, you know, picking up the the COVID virus. So it is a a different season. I know Gary Neville was trying to say it's not. Um, I don't know how he can say that because uh, we've never experienced anything like this before. He, you know, he, he did a, a detailed kind of rundown of the last few seasons, trying to point out that Liverpool are not playing any more games than they were um, over the last couple of seasons um, and in regards to the, kind of the 12-30 games and how there's only a maximum of six 12-30 games you can possibly kind of play in a season but there has been extenuating kind of circumstances this season you can't kind of go away from that and there has to be a reason why these players are picking up more muscle injuries than what we've seen in um, well ever really um, so and I think you know, you look at Liverpool as well and the way they play. You know, I can understand why Jurgen is, is frustrated because, you know, intensity is a massive part of Liverpool's game. You know, the, the amount of running, the work rate they put in, um, how those kind of forward players play and the amount of forward runs they play. The intensity, um, is key to Liverpool's performance. And, and if that's down, then you will not get, um, the typical kind of Liverpool performance. It's a massive part of kind of how they play. So, you know, with the game's coming thick and fast, um, and maybe not get players not getting that recovery, it will affect a team like Liverpool a lot more than, than it would, you know, maybe kind of a Manchester United. So, um, I think, you know, the frustration kind of comes in that respect as well, because, um, having fresh players, um, with the intensity that Liverpool play with is an important factor, um, in their game in, in getting results. So, um, it's it's not ideal, but the Premier League it is a business, and and it is everybody kind of looking after themselves. It is all about kind of generating money, and as you say, we will see probably this now all rear its head now in the Euros, where players are going into a major tournament, um, leggy, tired, um, and it will affect um, probably the the quality of 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 that competition, and you probably will see, or we already have seen. Um, the product of the Premier League affected as well because players have been playing 
um, not up to full speed. So we have seen some really kind of strange results this season, and we and I think that has been a massive factor. But the league is just not taking that player kind of welfare into account. All they're worried about is bringing in these millions from uh, the TV rights, you know, the Asia market, um, America market, um, and not really taking into account what is the most important thing: the product. And you know, to get the product that is very best, you need players, you know, hundred percent and able to perform at their very best whenever it is. Absolutely, it's it's frustrating. It really, really is frustrating. And as you say, you can completely understand why there's this twelve thirty game on a Saturday and why BT want it. But surely it's it's just common sense that after an international break, there shouldn't be a twelve thirty game because everybody has players that. are here, there and everywhere. And after Europe, it, they can have a Champions League team, just pick the one that played on the Tuesday night, not yeah. the one that played on the Wednesday night. And again, I'm sure it'll rear its head again over Christmas and Liverpool are quite fortunate with their, the way their fi- fixtures have come over the festive period. And they do have a longer break in between games than some other teams, but some teams are playing 48 hours later. And that's just, it's just not right, it's, is it it's, really? It's, it's, it's really not ridiculous it's something I had to do as a player and it's it's really tough you know and I wasn't playing for kind of one of the big clubs so I wasn't involved in European games and things like this but you know it, it, it was so so tough I can remember um, I think it was when I was at Crystal Palace and you know I obviously did it every, every around you know Christmas time every season where that happens you know you play one game and then one day rest and then you're out there again and I can remember where we I think we went to Aston Villa played at Villa Park, um, got the result against them. We were straight kind of on the bus then and up to, up to Manchester where we then played Man City away, which is like when you've played a 90 minutes before, the last team you want to be playing is Man City kind of at the Etihad, the way that they played. And I can remember, um, just going out for the warm up thinking, oh my God, how am I going to play against these? You know, you're looking across and you've got the likes of, Kind of David Silva and Jack, all these kind of players, and you know you're trying to warm up, and <laughs> your body just <laughs> body just doesn't want to function. And you think, well, I, I really don't know how I'm going to get through this nine minutes against uh, players of this kind of caliber and quality. But but you just kind of do, you know, you get yourself going, and you know you soon kind of forget about it. You just kind of got to get on with the game. But you know you're more worried about your body than the actual opposition, which should never be the case. You're more worried about hopefully not picking up an injury and, and just getting yourself through the 90 minutes and then being able to focus on the opposition and, and what they're going to do. So it's, it's, it's so, so difficult for these players. It's something that should never happen, but and it only happens in our league. And look, it's great for the fans and stuff who can come out at Christmas and watch these games and the atmosphere is a bullet and the players enjoy that side of things. But um, from a player welfare point of view and physically trying to get yourself going and and play to the levels that you expected. It's 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 near damn impossible. It is again. It's it's a different season this year, and we're jumping ahead of ourselves a bit here. But I've always thought that around the festive period, you sh- you should try and play local teams against local teams. Like you've got enough London teams to play each other, and like Liverpool, United, City, Everton, Burnleys that are local. And I know fans aren't as prominent this season and there's some stadiums they still can't go to but some of the travelling that you have to do around that time as well just adds to it surely it would make sense to try and just play 
local games around that hectic period, and at least then that cuts down on the travel time for fans as well as players. 100%. Uh, but that's too easy. That's too easy <laughs> to, to think of, isn't it? Um, I it would be, yeah. I mean, 100%. as you say, it's, there's been, it's always like that with in the regular season as well, though. There's Monday night games like Liverpool away at Brighton on a Monday night, and there's just what, what thought process has gone into that with with fans having to get to and from the game, or there's been times where the last train is before the end of the game. It's just, it's just nonsense. It is. Well, it, it, it just goes to show there's no kind of thought process for the players, and there's no thought process as well on top of that about the fans and how they're going to get to and from games and stuff as well. Um, but they really that's that's an afterthought for it for me. Um, with regards to the Premier League and, and how they're kind of organising these fixtures. And it, that should be the case over Christmas. Uh, the least amount of travel that the fans and teams can do um, would be a massive kind of benefit. But, you know, it's, it's not the case. You know, even when, you know, when I'm doing my, my kind of media work, um, you know, a lot of the games I get um, from media companies will be with the thought process of where I live. So they will be games that are quite close to where I am. Um, so, you know, if they can kind of do that, I don't see why the Premier League can't do that with the fixtures and with, with which would massively kind of help out kind of fans and players. I don't think it's, it's a difficult thing to do when you're organising the fixtures um, at the start of the season and it would be of massive benefit. But as I say, it's just not in their thought process. It's all very kind of narrow-minded and, and selfish and, and all about, you know, just maximising how much kind of money, how many millions can we make, which which is the wrong thing to be led by really in, in my point of view but that's that's just the way it is unfortunately so but we like going off on our little tangents there so one, <laughs> one, the one last game in November again unfortunately another game where VAR was at the forefront Brighton away a frustrating really frustrating for me and that spoiled my weekend the penalty well, as a defender if you're at Andy Robertson there what's your thoughts on, on that being given against you yeah, you'd be, you'd be, you'd be really, really frustrated, but you'd also accept now that it's kind of part of the game. And, you know, you have to, as I said earlier, you know, you almost have to adapt your game as a defender. There's certain things you could do in the past, which now with VAR involved, you, you just can't do. And, you know, look, it, it was really soft. Um, you know, there is slight contact there, but the way Welbeck goes down, like if he doesn't go down 10 seconds after the contact, I don't think he would have got the penalty. It would have just been play on. I don't. I think you know VAR probably would have had a look and just said no play on. Very much like the you know I think the decision last night in the game. Who is it? Um, where the player Chelsea, didn't, was yeah, it? it was Pavido, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Where similar thing, but he doesn't go down. He carries on. Um, the VAR has a quick check and, and says no. Um, the fact that Welbeck goes down, it was it was about five seconds after as well. It, it was, was it was embarrassing. Um, and then you know then as a defender, um, that's probably going to get checked. Then you kind of know, as again, your heart's in your mouth a little bit. And you know if there's contact now, it's going to be given. So as a defender now, you have to adapt your game. You know, in around the 18-yard box, you have to be 100% sure when you go into a tackle that you're going to win the ball because um, the rules have changed where now VAR looks at it. And if VAR sees any kind of contact and you don't make contact with the ball, 100% now, um, no matter how the player goes down, um, it's going to be given, it's going to be given as a penalty. So it, it, 
like from Robertson's point of view, it's, it's so frustrating. I would have been so frustrated with that decision given uh, against me, but I'd also probably have to accept that now that is a part of the game. Strikers now feeling any kind of contact are going to go down knowing that they're going to get the penalty given because VAR are going to look at it and see contact and, and give the penalty. So it's so, so difficult for defenders. Now your decision-making has to be spot on. Um, you know, there's a couple of VAR decisions I went against Liverpool in that game, a couple of disallowed goals. But what I would say is I think Brighton were probably unlucky not to win the game as well. I thought Brighton played really well. Liverpool weren't at their best, um, did get their nose in front, so would have been disappointed not to hold on um, to the result. But I think Brighton were probably worthy you know, of the result as well. Missed, missed the penalty early in the, in the game with Neil Morpai. Um, and probably deserved to get something out of the game from their performance. So um, I don't think it was a a bad point in the end because Liverpool were, were, were far from their best. Yeah, they were. Connolly certainly had a really good game, that. But as you say, it's just it's here to stay. As soon as it's flagged by VAR and the ref's walking over to his little monitor, you just know it's going to be given, unfortunately. But yeah. it would be nice if we got a couple of those in our favour rather than against us. Would be good. Oh, they're never but... nice. They're never nice when they go against you. No, always not nice at all. When you get one, um, but that's how it's going to be throughout the season. You know, you're, you're going to get some. Uh, you're not going to get some. Um, there's going to be inconsistencies, as I said, where a similar incident happens, and one week you get the result, the next week you don't. That's just the way it is. Um, so, as I said, um, it's just you just have to adapt your game the best you can uh, for the new rules. Uh, so, Andy Robertson, I think will. You'll learn from that. And in a similar situation there now, you'll probably maybe back off or not make the tackle. But you can also argue, is that the right thing to do when someone's inside the eight-yard box now? What, as a defender, are you just going to let someone shoot? You're going to let someone just almost maybe take you on because you're so wary about diving in and making a tackle? I don't know if that's right either, but that's where we're at with it. So um, it's it's just, it's just a nonsense. It's an absolute nonsense. <laughs> So uh, let's move on from VAR. Let's move on, yeah. Let's leave VAR behind us, get frustrated. So that that pretty much sums up our November. So as always, we will now do our player and our goal of the month. Last time we did this, we pretty much agreed on all of our players and goals and our predictions. So we'll see if we're the same this time. So go on, who is your player of the month for November? I I can't look past Jota, can I? I really can't. Um, He's just been incredible. Um, How good he's been. I I didn't think he was as good a player as we're seeing and, and maybe he wasn't um, coming into the club but the way um, he's adapted his game and how he's taken his game on to the next level so quickly has been so so impressive and I just think he's been really important for, for Liverpool over the last few weeks obviously with his goals with a kind of the front three not maybe firing on all cylinders um Salah obviously had a really good start to the season, um, has picked up the odd goal here and there since, but probably hasn't been playing on the top of this game. We know about Bobby Firmino and um, his performances hasn't probably been at the top of his game for a while now. Mane, I'd say probably, who's been so so consistent for Liverpool over the last couple of seasons, has, has been slightly off his levels as well. So I think for Jota to kind of come in um, and you know, important goals and, and play as well as he has. I, I can't really look past anyone else. Um, he's, he's been he's been so, so important for the manager. Um, I don't know what you guys think, or if you've gone with 
with someone different, Mark. But um, I, I really can't kind of look past him uh, the way he's come in and and affected games and uh, just been just been superb wherever he's played, whether it's been through the middle, off the right, off the left. Um, it really hasn't a kind of effect his his performance, is it? He's uh, he's been at the forefront of everything uh, Liverpool have done from the attacking sense. So uh, it'd be silly, I think, for me not not to nominate him. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with anything you've said there. But knowing well, which knowing you were going to say him, just to go for somebody different, just to give an alternative now. I think like Ginny Wijnaldum deserves a shout out. Oh, great shout. Great shot. I think it's just as much for just his consistency. I mean, he yeah. is always available. Again, he's another one that played pretty much every minute of the international break as well. And just I think the fact that he's an attacking midfielder for Holland and scores a lot of goals. And again, he, which is like we've said with Jota playing across the front three, he plays across the midfield. He drops in at the six when Fabinho or Henderson are out. He's the box to box one. He's the attacking midfielder. And just surely for one of our contributors, Mr. Simon Brundish, is the best <laughs> type of ability, is availability. And he is just always available. Yeah. So I think much as Jota has been the best, I think Ginny certainly deserves a shout out for with everybody else crumbling around him. Just the fact that he's been a consistent member there and Klopp clearly, clearly rates him. And I just hope they can sort out this contract negotiation and, and he can yeah. stay for another year or two. Yeah, I've I've got a second. I think you could even throw Andy Robertson in there in that respect yeah. as well. He's probably Liverpool's best player this season. Um, his energy levels, how he, you know he's up and down, consistency. Um, he was gone away, obviously with Scotland had a fantastic time with them, but I don't know where he gets the energy from and the consistency. No. Um, just incredible. I think- with Trent being out the last few games as well, he sort of upped his game yeah. another level as well because with the two of them, that they share the workload, if you like, share the assist load. But yeah. he's just taken on the mantle all by himself. And yeah, again, just a phenomenal... It's harsh calling him an unsung hero because he does yeah. get the plaudits, but I don't think he gets the plaudits that he should do because of no. the other superstars. No, no, yeah. that's another great shout. Uh, so goal of the month. I'm going to go first this time. I'm the host, so I can okay. do that. Go. You go. Uh, I've, I've got to go with Jotters against Atalanta. The first one, just that little oh, dink yeah, over the keeper yeah. there. What a, the audacity of it, as you say, just still trying to establish himself in the team early on in the game, but a key game. And to just the confidence of the boy just to do that. It was just a lovely little finish. Yeah, Very closely goal. followed by, without trying to take your, <laughs> yours away from you, the header. The header against Leicester, <laughs> just just the team build up to it was yeah. was phenomenal. But yeah, I think just that that little flick and chip would just just edges it for me. Yeah. Well, initially that was the goal that I was going to go with um, the, the Jota dink, and he'd he, he'd missed the chance just before that as well, and he like he, he went did, through, yeah. And I think uh, the keeper saved it. I think, um, but just the, the goal around, not just the dink, but the movement in behind the you know the pace, the body strength to kind of hold off the defender. And then just the composure and the audacity, as you say, to then, you know, dink the ball over the keeper with his, uh, with his so-called kind of weaker foot was just, uh, an outstanding kind of individual goal. But, but then I thought about obviously the head and I thought just, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with that one because just the, you know, the build up to the goal, you know, the patience Liverpool kind of showed in possession. Um, you know, then uh, the quality of the crossfield ball then from Curtis Jones to Robertson. And then he, he obviously skips around all by, and then he just whips the ball into a, a beautiful area, something which we saw kind of Robertson do um, 
a lot when he was kind of um, competing with Trent for assists. Was it last season where or, or the season before yeah. they got in double figures, both of them? Um, and we hadn't probably seen that as much kind of this season, but he just whips the ball into a great area and just the movement from Jota again there to to get into that position, get across kind of Christian Fuchs. And it was a, it was, he made a difficult header look really, really simple. Um, and it's something that you, you know, I think you look at wide players and certainly not with Liverpool because they're almost kind of inside forwards and you see their kind of wide players in those positions a lot. But a lot of wide players in other teams, you know, you wouldn't see them in that position. Uh, they don't understand that about getting into that area and becoming common goal scorers. You'll see crosses come in and you'll see wide players standing still out on the wing or outside of the 18-yard box. But it is obviously a feature of how Liverpool's front three play with those wide players. They get into those goal-scoring positions where they really hurt defenders and so, so difficult as a defender to mark that kind of movement. So I have to go with that goal, just the, the all-around brilliance of it, the, the patient build-up um, and then how they just quick and play out with a cross real ball. And then the cross from Andy Robertson was outstanding and, and the header was just as good. So I'm going to go with that Jota goal against Leicester. Yeah. That's a great shout. So we shall move on to our predictions. So as I say, we're recording this Sunday lunchtime. So we start tonight at home against Wolves. So what do you think for that one? Oh, I, I think this is a tough game. It really is um, for how good Wolves are. Um, and obviously the problems that Liverpool had have had uh, with injuries and not quite playing on the top of their game in a minute. But it's hard to not look past the Liverpool victory because we all know how good they have been at home over the last few seasons. Um, I, what is it, three years or something since yeah. they lost a, a game at home? Six, like that. 64 just, league games it's, now. It's just, it's ridiculous. Absolutely it really ridiculous. Is. So they just seem to find a way. So even if Liverpool are not at their best, I think, this evening, they're still going to probably find a way of winning the game. And obviously, you know, with Raul Jimenez being missing, bless him, you don't wish injury on, on any kind of player, particularly the one that he's he's picked up. Um, he does take a lot away from the attacking side of their game. So from a Liverpool point of view, from a, a player point of view, him not being available um, is, is a massive kind of bonus to Liverpool. Um, definitely, definitely. He's a quality so player. I'm going to go with a Liverpool win. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say 2-0. I'm going to say 2-0. I, 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 with him missing, I think it's going to be difficult for Wolves to um, to penetrate a, a kind of a makeshift Liverpool defence. And I just think Liverpool will do a, a good job on them. But I think an early goal is really important when you play against Wolves. You can get an early goal and then Wolves have to play a bit more expansive and open out. Um, I think that will that will, that will will benefit Liverpool and they'll probably go on then to, to get a second. So I'm going to say 2-0 Liverpool. That sounds good. I like the sound of that. I'm going to go with 3-1. I'm not quite as confident as you on the clean sheets. I think they've still got threats there. I think Traore has been very hot and very cold this year. Yeah. Hopefully he's cold tonight because the guy's frightening with his pace and power. But no, I think we'll go for it 3-1, which brings us on to Midland versus Liverpool under 12s, perhaps. <laughs> I'd, I'd be, certainly be surprised if any of the regulars are even on the plane awaited there. I'd, I'd love it if Klopp didn't go and he just sent Pat Blinders to do the job. I think that would be brilliant. But who knows? Again, with a, the, it's wrapped up, isn't it? We're through. It's, they've got nothing to play for. They can't get in the Europa League. So, uh, 2-1 to Liverpool. But who knows? Well, they should, they should have enough to 
um, to get the job done out there, even with their with their under twelves. I think I'd like to see something similar to what they did against Aston Villa maybe yeah. in the cup last season and see some of these young players given an opportunity um, and and kind of see the next kind of, kind of conveyor belt of of players kind of coming through. Um, the beauty, obviously, that qualification is in the bag is is great. Um, I don't expect to see too many kind of key players jump on that plane and, and, and be out there. Um, and that would be the right thing to do because uh, there's been so many games, as we've said, as we've spoken about, uh, the injuries that Liverpool have um, is still obviously a, a big problem. So um, it's one of those games where you can kind of send the B team, the C team out there. Um, you can have a look at a few players and um, hopefully those players will still be good enough to to get the results. So I'm, I'm going to go 1-0. 1-0 to Liverpool. I don't see Liverpool going out there and kind of dominating and, and scoring 4 or 5 because they just won't have the personnel out there to do that. So um, I, I'm going to go with a with a comfortable kind of uh, tight 1-0, 1-0 win. I would say that again, it's hard, isn't it? Because some of the, the players you normally would have expected to see, like your Nico Williams, your Reese Williams, etc., they've been playing anyway. And yeah. some of the injuries we've got, they'll probably still be needed. So it's, do, do even they get risked, but who knows, we'll see what Klopp well, does. Well, they've got to play, they've got to play, and they're young lads, so I mean, they can play, like, game after game after game after game, and the only worry is, obviously, as you say, they are kind of first-choice players in a minute, but, you know, at that age, it, it's it's not a problem. You know, I look back to when I was their age, and, you know, I could I could play two games in a day. You know, your body allows yeah. you to kind of do that, because they're young lads, and they're, they're athletic, they're developing and stuff, so so those guys will play, and I'm, I'm not too worried about in that respect because um, um, they're fit young boys. But but as you say, because they are involved in the first team and they are needed, that is the only worry. But um, but I'd expect a, a few of those boys to to play and, and get through the game, no problem. Which brings us to Fulham away. A bit of a tricky start for Fulham. They haven't really hit the ground running, but did have that win away at Leicester, which I don't think many people saw coming. So away is never easy, but again, after the a full week's break near enough with a team that would play Midgeland. You would expect Liverpool to go there and win. 100%. And I think you look at Fulham and um, they're, they're not to be underestimated. Um, you know, they play some good football. They probably lack a little bit of cutting edge at times for you know the chances they kind of create. Um, and obviously defensively, it has been a struggle for them this season. So you would expect Liverpool to go there. Um, and Fulham not really be able to, to contain Liverpool over 90 minutes. But I do think they're a team not to be underestimated. Um, they do play some good football. Uh, they, they do create chances. Um, they've just lacked that kind of clinical edge and, and have found it difficult defensively, you know, individual mistakes, um, which have kind of cost them so far this season. But they have been proved in recent weeks. They have picked up a, a couple of results. So you have to go there with the right mindset, the right focus, which Liverpool always do. Um, and you'd feel with the firepower that they have, then they should be more than capable of getting the job done. So, yeah, I, I, I can't really see past the, you know, a Liverpool away win with that one. No, I, th- I think I'll go with 2-0 there. I think that'll be one Klopp will sort of want to get the couple of goals early and then put the game to bed with, with the Tottenham game coming up in the midweek after that. So, yeah, I think I'll go 2-0 for that one. Yeah, I'll go 3-0. I'll go I'm confident I like that. <laughs> Which does bring us on to Tottenham and Mr Mourinho. I think that will be a very, very tough game. It's, it's hard, isn't it? It's two weeks away and 
who knows who will be, who will and won't be available by then. Yeah. Hopefully, Trent's back and Naby's back. So I don't think Tiago, I think Tiago, Gomez and Van Dijk will certainly be missing. But hopefully, other than that, the majority of the boys are back. And much as it's a tough game, I think that'll be one Klopp will see as putting down a marker. And I think, yeah. I think we'll scrape at a 2-1 win there. Yeah. I think having the fans back in the ground will help. It's a night game. And yeah, having Gil, Mourinho will come to do a Mourinho and park the bus maybe and stifle us and frustrate us. But I think, I think we'll have enough just, just to get past them and, and win 2-1. Yeah, I, I can't wait for this game because for me, Tottenham need putting in their place a little bit. Everybody's talking up Tottenham about, <laughs> about winning the league. Mourinho's got his mojo back. You know, he's coming out with all different statements and stuff. And I just feel this is like a great opportunity to, to put Tottenham in their place and just say, look, you know, we're the champions. We're still the team to beat. Um, you know, get back in your lane kind of thing. And I think, I think Definitely. that's exactly what Liverpool will do. I think you're spot on, Mark. I think Tottenham will come there. They'll part the bus. What they've done in recent weeks against, um, when they've come up against bigger sides where they've almost played with a kind of a back kind of six at times. And they'll, they'll try and make it very difficult for Liverpool and they'll look to kind of break on the counter attack with a, uh, with a pace of, of Son um, and Harry Kane, who's kind of been playing kind of a little bit more in that number 10 position. So I think that'll suit Liverpool. Um, I think playing at home is is a massive kind of plus for them as well. Um, and I just think Liverpool will, will control the game if they can control the counter-attack, the transition when the ball breaks down um, and they can stop kind of Tottenham counter-attack. And I don't think Tottenham defensively will be be good enough to um, to uh, to contain Liverpool, so I think I, I can only see a Liverpool winning that one. Um, and as I said, hopefully, you know, it'll be another kind of statement win, and they'll just let Tottenham know that um, they're not quite ready to to take that Premier League title off Liverpool yet. No, definitely. So, what what score are you thinking for that one? Um, I'm gonna say I think I think um, I'm gonna say two nil. I'm, oh. I'm really confident. Really Very confident. good. That's what we like, and then we go over to our. Say it quietly, ex-manager Roy Hodgson's Crystal Palace. Very strange team, Crystal Palace. He seems, yeah. For me, whether again it's the, the Liverpool thing, he just seems to get away with it, really, the, this mediocrity. And I think with, with some of the players Palace have got, they should be doing better than they are. But he's very good at fanning the fans' expectations, if you like, and almost making them happy with 16th, 17th in the league. And with, with the quality of Zaha and Eze and Milivojevic is, I think that they should be higher up the league than they are and playing better football than they do. And yeah. that's one I desperately want to win just to rub his face in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't like Hodgson, do you? <laughs> no, not at all. Not no. at all. Um, it's, it's, it's a strange one because I think Palace are kind of seen as a little bit of a bogey team for Liverpool. But I think if you look at Liverpool's kind of record, I think it's quite good uh, recently um, when they've gone to Selhurst Park. They've actually one more games there than than you kind of think in your memory because I think you know obviously you think back to that kind of game when um they helped kind of stop Liverpool win the league under Brendan Rodgers obviously I think they, yeah. they've picked up some results at Anfield in the past as well so but Liverpool's record is quite good at Salford Park over the last few seasons and look Palace are a team who are heavily reliant on Will Fazar when he's not playing they are just not the same team you know the, the record kind of points to that I think it's something like He's missed about 22 games of his of 29 um, since he's come back to Palace, and they've they've lost all of those games. 
So um, they're so kind of reliant on him. Um, and I can't see Palace kind of get him as well. I really can't. Um, they're a difficult team to play against. They they sit back, they make it difficult. I I was at Palace kind of last week where um, Newcastle had a really good result against them and Zaha wasn't playing and they just, you know, they just were not, they were not the same team um, from an attacking sense. Um, Zaha is actually back. I'm actually, he's actually on the TV here and Palace are one up against <laughs> West Brom and he's back playing. So um, he's obviously, if they can contain the threat of him, then um, I don't see Palace getting the result because they're just not positive enough. You know, they're very, no. very negative with their play. They make it difficult for you. They try and play on the counter-attack and, um, I think, you know, that even, um, even when they're playing at home, they're exactly the same. They don't play any different away from home to home. And as you say, Mike, it is kind of frustrating because of the players that they have. They are more than capable of, of playing in a more expansive, more exciting way. Um, but that will suit Liverpool. Um, and, um, yeah, I can only see a Liverpool win. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with uh, Liverpool to win 2-0 in that one. Two so, no. First one we've got that we agree on, but I think yeah, they, they certainly are reliable on Zaha. And then we're fortunate that we're fortunate we've been moved to the twenty seventh rather than the Boxing Day game. But West Brom at home, you couldn't really ask without this coming back to bite me in the arse. You couldn't really ask for a better game than a home game against relegation fodder, if you like West Brom at home and. I think, again, a home game with fans in the ground, that should be a very comfortable win for Liverpool. I'll go 3-0 for that one. Um, yeah, I would expect goals in this one. Um, West Brom, it's, it's been a difficult um, season from so far under Slavin Bilic. Obviously, didn't have massive amounts of money to invest in the squad, You know, particularly the defensive um, side of their game. Um, you know, still a lot of players playing there from the kind of the championship and it's been a problem for them both ends of the pitch, really scoring enough goals and, and conceding too many. So this is a good opportunity for Liverpool players to kind of get their, their goal scoring their kind of numbers up, really. Um, and if I'm starving a bit, I really don't know how to go about this one, how you go about playing against Liverpool. If you sit back and defend, you're probably not, you ain't got enough quality to, to do it that way. If you try and have a go and attack, then the way Liverpool play, you can be on the end of a hiding. So I think either way they play, this could be a hiding. <laughs> so I'm going to go Liverpool to... I think this could be four. I think this could be four. I'm going to say Liverpool to win 4-0. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a festive game under the lights at Anfield with however many fans are there. If if we get an early one, it could be one where the floodgates well and truly open and we put down another marker and really put them to the sword. And then the final December game, a tr- tricky away game at Newcastle and Again, it's it's that time of year, isn't it, where games are coming thick and fast. You're not quite sure who will play, who won't play. And they're very hot and cold this year in Newcastle, aren't they? They yeah. have a, a few good results, but again, they got 4-1 hiding at home to Man United and 2-0 away at Southampton that they lost. So it's tricky to really know what Newcastle you're going to get. And Callum Wilson is a threat and he scored a few goals for Newcastle, but on paper, it, it should be a comfortable win, but it's just one of them with the time of year it is and who will and won't be available. So it's a tricky one, that for me. Um, yeah, tricky one, but I would expect Liverpool to go there and win. Um, you know, as I said, I saw Newcastle win at Crystal Palace and they played with a, 
a 4-4-2 system. They played with Callum Wilson and, and Joel Linton up front. Um, and it was a lot more positive for them. But I think the only reason they did that was because Crystal Palace played with a 4-4-2 as well. So I think coming up against Liverpool, I can't see them playing that system. I expect him to go back to that kind of three-at-the-back system and be very negative, very defensive, sit back, um, try and nullify space, very much like what, what Palace will do and look to kind of break on a counter-attack. And I think, again, you know that will suit Liverpool if they're able to go there um, and dominate possession, control the game. I, I can only see one winner because I just don't see Newcastle having the quality uh, to contain Liverpool's um, attacking players. As we said, I think a lot will depend on personnel available. Hopefully, Liverpool have got kind of players back or players that are still fit and available by that point. And if if they have, if they have that kind of you know front three, front four, or fit and firing, and I, I don't see Newcastle being able to get anything from this game. So I'm, I'm going to go with a Liverpool away win. Um, I'm going to say 2-1. Oh, I like the sound of that. As you said, I think hopefully with the West Brom game before, we can get that one done and put to bed early and he can save some of the players and we will go into it fairly fit. And as we said before we started recording, I think our fixtures are fairly favourable over that period. We do seem to have a longer gap in between games. So, I'm going to go 2-0 for that one, I think. I think we'll shut them out and get a good 2-0 and, and finish the year on top of the league and leave the rest chasing us once again. They're decent games, to be fair, though, as well, aren't they? They're decent they are, games. Yeah, so if you look at, away from Tottenham and maybe Southampton, it's a good kind of run of fixtures where, you know, with the injuries Liverpool have, um, you would just still expect them to kind of pick up results. They're lucky maybe not to have another one of the big boys in there over the next five or six, aren't they, I think? so. Definitely, and again, I think that, that Midtjylland game, just getting that win over Ajax last week and the fact that we've now not only qualified, but we're qualified as group winners as well, means it, it is completely a nothing game. And I think those those extra few days rest will make a big, big massive, difference. Massive, and yeah. It seems from Liverpool are very secretive with their press conferences and their injury news, but it seems like Trent's back. Naby's coming back, Milner won't be much longer, Shaq won't be much longer. So as you say, hopefully when we get into that bulky, bulky time, it's only really the long-term ones, the Van Dijk Gomez and probably Thiago out and everybody else is fit. And as you said, the, the, the lesser squad players, your Williams is, your Curtis Jones have stepped up yeah. and proved more than worthwhile. So we can share, share the workload over that period. Do, do, do you done. expect, guys, you expect Liverpool to sign a centre-back maybe then in the window in January? Because obviously, you know, all these games around that kind of period as well. Do you think we, like Jürgen might look to bring a centre-back in, in when the window opens? I would really, really hope so. I, th- I think we need to, just because, again, Matip's injury record over the last few years isn't great. Yeah, I, th- I think we left ourselves short anyway, only going in with three rather than four. So I, w- I would really hope so. I think we yeah. need to. You, yeah. do you think we will? Um, I'm not so sure. Um, I think if Liverpool do sign one, it won't be like a, you know what I mean, like a cooler barley or you know, no. you know like a, a, a high profile, high level signing. I think it'll be, you know, like what they did with Adrian, where Adrian came in and, you know, they got him on, on the cheap as a number two kind of back at Keeper to Alice. And I think it'd be that, that kind of signing, someone who comes in, I don't know if he'd be on a free transfer or where they don't have to pay too much money, who can, you know, be a bit of a more, maybe a, a kind of a stop gap, I think, who could do a, a decent job. I think if they can find a player of that kind of that kind of profile, um, 
they'll probably do it. But but I think he's probably delighted to be fair how you know the young lads have done as well. Kind of Reese yeah, Williams and obviously it's... Fabino covering and stuff. So I don't think it'd be a massive, massive maybe priority. But if you can get the right one in at the right kind of price, I think they will do something. Yeah. The, the rumor pages seem to be with uh, the two Leipzig boys seem to be the ones that were were regularly linked with. Is it Canate and Upa Meccano? Oh, I think. No. I think uh, Leipzig are playing United, aren't they? For, yeah. It's yeah. a winner takes all. Yeah. Yeah. Get away with a draw. So I think if they win that, which obviously as a Liverpool fan, I hope they do. When United go to the Europa League, I don't think there's a chance that we get them. No. If they drop out, I think that that might be a chance. And I think. We haven't traditionally signed a lot in January, but I think, again, with the nature of the season and the way it's going now, it might just be that they bankroll it early in January if, if the yeah. opportunity arises. But as we've shown in the past, if a, if a right player is not available, we don't sign it. We did that with no. Van Dijk. It was all yeah. set to happen. It didn't. We didn't yeah. sign anybody else. We waited to get him. So I think yeah. if Cater. a right one comes available... Yeah. yeah, exactly. If a right one comes available we will make the move. But if not, I don't think we'll sign somebody just because we're short of numbers. Yeah. So well, David Alba was mentioned as well, wasn't he? Oh, that would be a dream. Uh, what a, a player sign. he is. So I think obviously his contract's running down. I think he's uh, yeah, he's refused to kind of sign a new contract. Obviously, he's played centre-half for Bayern Munich. He's very versatile as well. I mean, what, what a player he is, as you say. He so, is. Uh, so left-back, centre-back. Left-back, I remember Wales playing yeah. Austria. Austria. Yeah. Austria a few years ago and he dominated the game. He's yeah. a great Fantastic player. So again, player. if you can get somebody like that, I think it's well worth it. But just get Thiago on, get Thiago on the phone to him. Absolutely, waiting to come. Selling the club, that would be <laughs> selling a dream. The club, wouldn't it? Selling the dream, yeah, it would be. But time will tell, I guess. But I'm wary. I'm taking a few Sunday, and you've got your former team on telly at the moment. Do you want to be watching? So. Thank Team you very, very much actually. again, Peter. Oh, yes, very much. One That's all one. now, isn't it? I've yeah, one-one. Yeah. One-one now, and then loads more games to come today. So, yeah, brilliant. Thank you very much again for your time, and we'll see how we get on with these predictions, and just to rub it in, producer guy's face <laughs> for the, the last ones. I got four points, and he got two points. Ah. So, the way we do it here, it's three points if you get the result right, yeah. and one three points for the score right, sorry, and one point for the right result. So He needs to step his game up, guy. He come does. On. We, we were two points each the last time we did it together. So we'll see how we get on for December and try and get you on again in the new year, if that's all right. Yeah, yeah. now brilliant. Yeah, now guys, thanks for having me on again. Uh, no problem. enjoyed it. And um, let's see how these uh, these games go over the Christmas period. Hopefully Liverpool can um, pick up some really important results and get themselves back on the, on, on the top of the league where they belong. Definitely, definitely. Brilliant. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks all for listening Cheers, in. Cheers, guys. We shall speak to you soon. Network.